is it even worth it doing all of these exams if it's it's like everything is in chaos? College students are struggling as their campuses close down and as many of them move to remote learning during the coronavirus crisis. It's been like a, a lot of problems with it because there's no set schedule. So sometimes Zoom calls collide. But despite the many issues, some students are finding the new flexibility of remote learning a bonus. So I've been just going back to my art because I'm trying to get my portfolio then, just like in case I decide to go to an art school. From APM Reports, this is Educate. I'm Stephen Smith. The news has been full of stories about college students and teachers wrestling with problems during this pandemic. But there's been some good news in the education world. Delise Smith-Barrow is a senior editor for higher education at the Heckinger Report. In recent weeks, she's been uncovering some of those hopeful stories. They fall into a couple of categories. For one, she has seen signs that access to higher education might actually be opening up for some students. And she's also come across stories of colleges pitching in to offer emergency help. I think what's been most surprising is how quickly colleges and universities are trying to help healthcare workers who are fighting the coronavirus by making face shields, by making hand sanitizer. This is surprising because these institutions already have so much on their plate in terms of having to quickly transition to online learning, something that Many had not been planning to do mid-semester, having to help students um, get laptops and the technology that they need to work remotely. So it's been pretty amazing that on top of all that, some of them, some of them have also prioritized making, um, like I said, face shields and hand sanitizer for healthcare workers. Who's making face shields and how are they going about doing it? So one university that really started to do this um, before many others is Stony Brook University, which is in New York, which is, as you know, the epicenter of the coronavirus in the United States. And basically, um, it started off as a very, not grassroots effort, but, you know, very simple, just supplies from Home Depot, Joanne Fabrics. They kind of um, rig something together. We use a piece of plastic, it's eight and a half by 11. So we use book covers that are clear. And then we use a piece of elastic for the back, which really worked well. So we've kind of improvised a little bit and made it work. When we showed the doctors, they were really happy and excited about it. And are these students or faculty or volunteers? I mean, who's getting together to do the work? So right now, um, it's actually a, a good mix of both. So there, there are faculty that are kind of leading the efforts, but definitely students working in facilities to create the face shields. There's one student right now who told me about how she goes to, she goes to essentially a lab of sorts and helps with the assembly. She said there are a few other students who are also um, doing this as well. They work in something called the I Create Space at Stony Brook University, which is basically um, a number of, of of settings that they have in different buildings for innovation. So if you want to make something, that's where you make it. Um, and these are students who may have already been on campus for other reasons. The one I spoke with is a resident assistant. She's a she's an RA um, on campus, so you know she was already at school. Um, 
And so for her, it wasn't a big lift. Going home was actually more dangerous for her because she, her family's in an area of New York where, um, you know, people are closer together and the virus is more prevalent. So Stony Brook is in a more suburban area. So she's safer there um, making these face shields for healthcare workers. What other uh, collaborations have you uncovered between students, teachers, staff, uh, collaborating in new ways to... Uh, get through and overcome the current situation? At the New Jersey Institute of Technology, um, faculty, students, they're, they're in the process of designing face shields, but also field ventilators for short-term use. I'm sure you've heard quite a bit about how ventilators are um, in short supply. So New Jersey Institute of Technology, you know, they've kind of gotten into the game. There's a student working pretty much by himself at Cedarville University in Ohio. Um, and that student has created 25 3D masks um, for healthcare workers to use to kind of protect themselves. Um, so I think it's across the country where students and professors and administrators found a way to push the country to get well sooner. And I'm hearing from students that they are grateful if they can help fight the pandemic. So the students who are working on um, making face shields, making hand sanitizer, they're feeling like, you know, even though the world is in disarray, I am grateful that I can give back in, in some small way. It keeps me busy and it keeps me um, keeps me from feeling a little less sad because you're part of the solution, not the problem. So I think those are some of the silver linings that we're, that we're starting to see from coronavirus. And Delise, one of the things you've been looking into um, in this pandemic period is how it's reshaping access and opportunities in higher education. Many students uh, have applied or are beginning to apply for summer internships, summer jobs. Um, how have you detected that some of these opportunities are being redesigned to accommodate social distancing? There are already some employers who have already just completely done away with their summer internships or reduced the number of interns because of coronavirus. It's just harder to take care of people and to figure out how to best accommodate people. But then there are several employers that have just transitioned their summer internship program that would typically be in person to now take place online. I think employers are still figuring it out. Um, colleges and universities are working with them to help them figure it out. But essentially, you know, just like many students are taking classes online, they're going to to work remotely in different environments. Google, for example, um, announced that all of their interns will now be online. Google has thousands of summer interns, and so they're figuring out ways to um, help them connect virtually and work um, on different tasks, different projects, different departments, you know, all from their computers. Um, I spoke with a student who lives in Alexandria, Virginia, which is a suburb of Washington, D.C. She's going to intern for the Washington Improv Theater um, in the district. And, you know, she's going to do some of that remotely in terms of just assisting with different departments, figuring out um, what the organization needs. She's really excited for this opportunity. It wasn't wasn't what she envisioned her summer would look like, but um, the theater said that they're happy to accommodate her in terms of helping her do something with a little bit more flexibility with this um, with this move to online internships for college students that really 
gives an added advantage to students who are from lower income households and have to work a lot during the school year. So a lot of times with online internships, they're a little bit more project-based. So you're given a task to do when you complete it, where you complete it. You know, there's a lot of flexibility there as long as you meet the deadline. So if if need be, you could be interning at midnight. You could be interning, you know, at 10 p.m., completing the project, completing the task, which would leave you open during the day to study or to work or, you know, the other um, responsibilities that you have to take care of. Also, a lot of times with internships, um, traditionally, you know, you might have to move somewhere, which can be costly, Um it pretty much removes you from doing anything else when you have to move somewhere for this internship. But, you know, now that employers are becoming more flexible and you can intern from your bedroom, that's wonderful. That saves you a lot of money in terms of moving costs, um, housing costs, things of that nature. So I certainly see that as a silver lining. Many universities are uh, trying to engage with students differently as they try to market themselves here at a time when... um Juniors are typically visiting campuses. What sort of innovations are they taking on in the face of, you know, social distancing and financial troubles? We're seeing a couple of different things in terms of virtual open houses. Um, Schools trying to figure out ways to show off their campuses um, and show off their resources without actually having you come to campus. Usually May 1st is the day where um, prospective college students say, you know, here's where I'm going to attend in the fall. And they they commit to a college or university. And that can be a very celebratory experience. I've seen that schools are trying to figure out how to celebrate online. Um, this May 1st popular deadline for for students to, to make their choice. Um, seeing a lot of activity on social media, such as Twitter and Instagram, to kind of show school spirit. Um even if you can't do that in person. And then even looking even towards more of the beginning of the admission cycle, a lot of colleges and universities are waiving the requirement of SAT and ACT um, score so that if you do want to attend their university, but taking one of these entrance exams just doesn't really seem feasible. Um, They're saying, you know, it's okay. And for this upcoming admission cycle, we won't require that of you. So I think colleges are trying to figure out how to draw people in um, and just make themselves look more appealing, you know, despite what's happening right now. I've also seen at least, you know, one university, they're reducing the cost of summer classes. So if you're already enrolled at that particular school, um, and maybe the spring semester is rough for you as it is for many students. Um, you can take classes during the summer at a reduced rate. So I think schools are trying to be innovative in terms of how they attract people and just the resources that they will provide for students. Speaking of the SATs and the ACTs, these tests have been controversial for some time. Critics say they favor wealthy students who can't afford you know, the, the special classes and the tutors to prep for them. Uh, do you think these waivers have the potential to end or phase out the the requirements for these tests? I think these waivers will definitely change the admission cycle. I think it will be very difficult for a college to say we will not require the SAT or ACT for this upcoming admission cycle and then um, go back to requiring it for the following cycle. So I think we'll, we'll see definitely some long-term effects. You're right. 
SAT, ACT, they're very controversial because often the students who do the best um, come from higher income households that can afford test prep services, which can cost, you know, um, one, two thousand dollars easily. So I think that there was already a strong movement towards colleges and universities becoming test optional or just dropping the requirement altogether. And I think we're certainly going to see that increase um, significantly, which will be, you know, a challenge for the the makers of these exams because it kind of chips away at how relevant they are if schools are able to find the students that they want without having these students take the SAT or the ACT. I don't even know if I should study for it because some colleges are confusing. They're like canceling it and not doing it. So like if if the schools that I want to apply to doesn't even accept it, is there like really point of doing it? Mina Bellaton is a high school junior at Fauché Learning Center in downtown Los Angeles. She's been thinking a lot about schools that are going test optional and her feelings are mixed. She's in an honors program and has been doing SAT test prep on Saturdays as part of it. But her classmates outside of the honors program were only two weeks into their after-school test prep program before their high school closed its doors. All the students are now left to figure out how to study for the tests at home themselves. With this quarantine, I, I also know that like, we all have different type of households and some might not even have time to like, study for SAT prep on top of everything. They might be dealing with some family issues or, you know, some like they've been going too many host household chores and or they just stress and like feel disconnected with all of the world and that could add up to something. And I think that it's a good thing for those kind of people that since they already have too much stress and if it's just adding another stress into it, then it's better to just not do it. But since others are in the middle of preparing for the SAT, she sees why taking away the test may be scary for them as well. I mean, personally, I don't like the SAT because I don't have a good score. But, like, I'm concerned for those people that doesn't have that, like, good GPA to back up and then they already studied so hard for SAT, you know, and then that's, like, their... That's how they balance their application. I mean, what I'm trying to do is not think too much about it because I get stressed and I just go into spiral of like anxiety and everything. For Mina, doing work at home is not ideal. So having a more flexible schedule and less pressure to do test prep has had its upsides. And it's kind of chaotic because I have two sisters and we have classes all at the same time. And then the Wi-Fi would go down and then there's no there's not like enough computer because the other one broke. So and then I'll just be like, you need to eat breakfast. And then then I'll be like, oh, I'm in class right now. I can't eat. Since it's online, you can decide when to do your homework and when not to. So I've been just going back to my art, doing art and drawing and painting because I'm trying to get my portfolio then. Just like in case I decide to go to an art school. And that was good because I usually don't have time to improve on my techniques or anything. So that was cool. It's also like just spending time with your family. Because my dad, I usually don't spend time with him because, well, he goes out early for work and then comes home late. So there's no time for those kind of stuff. But now we get to watch like a lot of movies in a day or just like eat together. And it's kind of fun. And they've been gardening. And us, we're just like doing 
artwork and stuff and my yeah it's pretty cool but at the same time you know you miss going outside and seeing your friends so there's there's a lack of structure but I also like want to appreciate the teachers because not all of them just like leave us alone you know some of them do still put up the effort and I think they're just like taking their time and I and that's good too as long as like we figure it out that that's that's okay for me So tell us what else you hope to look into going forward. Are there any other issues of access or equity, any trends that you're seeing or expect to see? So one thing I'm hoping to look into is what's happening with the FAFSA, the Free Application for Federal Student Aid. So this form is critical for filling out if you want to get um, any type of aid to help in paying for college. So I'm going to look at if completion rates for FAFSA are going maybe down because of um, coronavirus. A lot of students, they've been suddenly sent home. They may or may not have adequate internet access to fill out this very long form to apply for aid. So I'm curious to see, one, um, if there will be a decrease in students who are completing the FAFSA, and two, if if colleges and universities recognize that students are having difficulty completing the proper paperwork to get student aid, how will they help them? Um, will they will they offer additional grants if you just have a certain, you know, GPA um, and certain extracurricular activities? Are they going to be more creative about how they decide who gets student aid and how much? Um, because I think, you know, like with everything happening, you've got to be a little bit flexible. Um, the rules are, are quickly changing because nothing is the same. So I'm going to be looking at that. I think some schools are certainly considering this is a silver lining as well. The government has set aside about $14 billion for a post-secondary education because of coronavirus um, and all the sudden expenses that students and institutions have had to withstand, um, Secretary Betsy DeVos said that schools will now have $6 billion available to them. And all they have to do is fill out a form and they can start accessing that $6 billion. Um, the Department of Education has released data on the exact dollar amount that every school um, is eligible to get. And they've given guidelines for how they should distribute it to students. So I think that's somewhat of a silver lining. Um, colleges and universities are, are starting to get some instruction for what to do next, and they're starting to get some money for what to do next. So that is extremely helpful, I think. That's it for this episode. If you're interested in sharing your experience with education during this coronavirus pandemic, contact us on Twitter and Facebook at Educate Podcast, or you can send us a note to contact at apmreports.org. This episode was produced by Sabby Robinson, edited by Chris Julin, and mixed by Johnny Vince Evans. We partner with the Heckinger Report, which is a nonprofit independent news organization focusing on inequality and innovation in education. Support for APM Reports comes from Lumina Foundation and the Spencer Foundation. I'm Stephen Smith. Thanks for listening. This is APM. <laughs>